Coming up next. Would you say uh, Kinsey is the midseason favorite for Sunbelt Player of the Year? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if it's close, honestly. The host of the Field of 68 mid-major podcast, Sean Paul, also stops by. He breaks down a log jam at the top of the Sunbelt men's standings. He also gives us his favorite to win the league come season's end. So we're, we're playing around with new, you know, new, new rosters, new players, trying to find our group. And we feel like we're kind of hitting our stride finally now of, okay, this is, these are the defined roles on the team. Troy head coach Chanda Rigby stops by the podcast to talk about her Trojans, why they've won five straight games, and her love for the game of basketball. All that and more coming up next on Under the Sun. This is the Under the Sun podcast, your home for news, analysis, and interviews from around Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. Now, here's your host, Jake Griffith. What is up, everybody? This is your host, Jake Griffith. You're locked into the Under the Sun podcast, where we cover everything under the sun as it relates to Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. Episode four should be a good one. Really excited for it. And we're going to start this week on the women's side of things. One, as we approach the midway point of the year, the conference picture is starting to take more shape. We'll take a look at those conference standings. James Madison has really separated themselves from the pack. 6-0, and 16-12 overall. They've won 13 straight games. That's the fifth longest win streak in the country. I wrote about this earlier this week in my weekly Sunbelt piece for fan-sided's college sports coverage. What a masterful job that Sean O'Regan has done at the helm of this James Madison program. It's their best six-game start to a conference season since 2017-2018. And right now, the Dukes are led by Kiki Jefferson. Here's a stat for you. Only one player in the entire conference ranks top 10 in the league in points per game, rebounds per game, field goal percentage, assists, and assists to turnover ratio. That is Kiki Jefferson. She is the leader in the clubhouse for player of the year in the SBC Right behind James Madison, Southern Miss and Troy. The Golden Eagles have won two straight. The Trojans have won five straight. After that, Texas State and Old Dominion at four and two. And then here's where things get weird. Georgia Southern, Louisiana, Coastal, and App State, all with identical three and three records. We mentioned it a minute ago that the conference picture is starting to take shape now that we're at the midway point of the year. But the other thing starting to take shape is the postseason picture. And I love this time of year. Bracketology. Charlie Cream of ESPN has released his latest NCAA tournament projections. And he has those aforementioned Dukes slotted as a 13 seed set to head to College Park to face number four-seeded Maryland, also in that portion of the bracket, NC State and South Dakota State. Charlie Cream has James Madison clinching the Sun Belt's automatic bid. Perhaps the one team standing in James Madison's way is the team who has won five of the last seven Sun Belt titles, and that is the Troy Trojans. As mentioned a few moments ago, Troy has won five straight after dropping their conference opener against Southern Miss 
And these Trojans have played a gauntlet in the non-conference. Went on the road to face UCLA at San Francisco, played BYU and Washington State on neutral sites at Arkansas, a good Belmont team on the road before starting conference play. They've done it without Sunbelt Preseason Player of the Year, Felmus Koranga, who has only played four games. In spite of that, Troy still paces the country in offensive rebounds and total rebounds per game. They're 31st in the nation in defensive rebounds, and a large part of that thanks to the Coastal Carolina transfer, Janine Camp. Lots of size for the senior from Portsmouth, Virginia, 6'5", averaging 5.5 rebounds per game. Also, Amber Leggett, 8.8 boards per game. In fact, you look through this roster, uh, Jamia Hollings with 6.8 rebounds. This is a team that places a lot of emphasis on controlling the glass. Another area that Chanda Rigby's group places emphasis on is the offensive side of things. Troy enters a Thursday night matchup with Marshall as the number 10 scoring offense in the entire country, averaging 82 points per game. That's second best in the conference, just behind Anita Howard's Georgia Southern Eagles. And of course, in episode one, we heard from Anita Howard. We know how much emphasis they place on offense down at Statesboro. And that's a good segue because our next guest is the head coach of the Troy Trojans. The head coach of Troy women's basketball, Chanda Rigby, joins the podcast now. Coach, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. We're getting into the dog days of the conference slate, so I know it's super busy. Yes, it is. Hello. It's great to be on here, and I would imagine people listening to your podcast are interested in some Sunbelt basketball, and so, again, I'm just a passionate believer in, in what's going on in this conference, so I'm just glad to be a representative of, of that and Troy women's basketball today, so thanks for having me on. Well, glad to have you. And you talk about Troy women's basketball. That's where we'll start. You all have won five straight uh, coming into a Thursday night matchup on the road at Marshall, one of the Sunbelt newcomers. During this win streak, Coach, I'm curious, what have you seen that's different about your team from maybe earlier on in the year? Well, we've had to have a complete shift. Um, It's almost like we've had two different seasons. So, um, you know, we made this really, really, really tough pre-conference schedule. I mean, you know, what, four or five power fives or top-ranked teams. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, really, really as tough as we could. And um, we were feeling really good about it. We felt like it was the next step in our program because we've won, you know, five Sunbelt championships in the past seven years, but we get to that NCAA tournament sometimes and and we don't get past that game. So we were trying to build a uh, not only the experience of playing those power five teams and things like that, but we were also trying to to do all we can to uh, to get a better bid if we could ever be fortunate enough to, to make it back, you know, to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to play a better schedule. And, you know, we, we had some things shift, as all coaches do with injuries. We, we had the pre and Sun, Sunbelt, uh, all, all Sunbelt Player of the Year uh, returning. And, um, you know, she was just a great champion athlete. And, you know, she had an injury, of course, unexpected and things. And so we went through that tough schedule um, preseason without her and without actually without without two key players and um, and took some losses and, and kept having to readjust and find a new rhythm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get in the conference. And um, again, it feels like it feels like a different season because whereas we were using all of those as learning experiences, um, you know, we we're, we we're in a battle. We we want to win this championship again. So every game is super important. And so so yeah, we we've adjusted with uh, 
different. We played around with different rosters. Um, we only had four players returning from the year before because of that COVID year. We grad we had eight super seniors on the team the year before, and so we're we're playing around with new you know a new new rosters, new players, trying to find our groove, and we feel like we're kind of hitting our stride finally now. Of okay, this is these are the defined roles on the team, but it has taken us a while to do that. For you yourself, and you, you talk about this roster, for you yourself, you've spent time at the high school level, you've spent time at the junior college level, and now at the NCAA level. You have several junior college transfers on your team, and we were talking before we started recording, I do some JUCO broadcasting as well. There's great basketball played at the NJCAA level. Do you think the JUCO level gets enough credit for just how good the level of basketball is? With a certain few, it does. It's the same coaches I see recruiting in those gyms all the time. It's the same ones. But, uh, you know, I just it, – it's been it's been one of the biggest factors to my success at Troy is recruiting the junior college athlete. And I believe uh, – you know, I always tell people when I was young, I had brothers, we would get out in the yard and race, and they would give me a head start because I was a girl. They would give me a – you know, I'd get that head start. And I believe at Troy, as, at, at my, as my time as a Division One coach – I've had a head start in in the Sunbelt Conference and and against other Division One mid major teams because because I would go get the junior college player, and so if you if you come in and and you have a a twenty one year old uh, junior and she keeps coming in and playing against a team maybe that uh, that starts out with you know freshmen and she's playing against an eighteen nineteen year old, I mean you, you're probably going to have an advantage because a lot of the high school players. Um, if they are good enough to compete against those college players that have been playing for two years, a lot of those players are going to go straight from high school to high major teams. Mm -hmm. They might not be coming, you know, to Troy first if they also have an op an opportunity go to go to a Power Five school. So, you know, I feel like I've had a head start with recruiting junior college players. They're more experienced. They're battle tested. You're not going to deal with anything that you might normally deal with 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 a, with a with a high school player. You know, right. they've understand the rigor they understand the rigor they understand being away the homesickness is over so I mean I'm thankful for the junior college um schools for letting me recruit in their gyms because it's given me a big head start I believe you talked about Troy five Sunbelt championships in seven years it's been a total program restoration since you got there you I was listening to a podcast you were on recently talking about how Back when it was the RPI ranking, Troy was right around that second, third to last. And now, like you mentioned, you know, pursuing Sunbelt championships, going to the NCAA tournament. For you, what has this journey at Troy been like, bringing it from where you started to where you're at now? Yeah, it's, it's a huge blessing. That's a, that's a pretty big turnaround from being uh, second or third last in the nation to, you know, to, to being blessed to win these cha these five championships here. And and there were a lot of question marks on me because I had no Division One experience. I didn't play at the Division One level. Um, I've never been an assistant coach at the Division One level. So I just, boom, Troy get, takes a chance on me. And we were able to to turn that around. And it's been, um, it's been a journey of what I've learned throughout a lifetime of, of faith. I mean, it's, I really give credit to that because you have to, as a leader, you really have to believe in something that nobody else sees in order to, first of all, take the actions every day. You know, you have to come in here like you're a champion every day, even when you're not one, that's what faith is. You see something that's not actually there to bring it into existence. So um, when the team was used to losing, 
um, 28 out of 29 games a year and you're coming in the locker room telling them that they're going to be champions uh, and we're going to do this, you you really have to believe it in your bones yourself. And on the bad days, uh, you, you have to preach it even more. So it's been a journey of faith. And um, and and I, I, I definitely give credit to my faith and, um, and prayer and things like that. But also uh, couldn't have done it without my staff. I have a longtime staff that's been with me um, for, for a, again, for a very long time. Coach Jennifer Graff played for me. She's my associate head coach. Um, I was her high school coach. We won a, a Louisiana State Championship together. And um, anyway, she, she I could, I absolutely could not do this without her. She is the brains behind all this and the one that keeps, uh, you know, kind of an OCD schedule and keeps us on schedule. Um, coach Courtney Simmons has been with me uh, all but one year that I've been here at Troy. And she's been the recruiting coordinator, guards coach. Um, there would be such a deficit uh, in this program without what, without her and what she brings to the table. Um, so, yeah, and then I, I do have one new coach, uh, Chelsea Dungy, who's in her own right a, a star. You know, she led all of the SEC men and women in scoring there at Arkansas a few years ago and was a first-round draft pick for the Dallas Wings, and we um, we picked her up this year as a coach. So my staff, my faith, and then the opportunity that Troy University gave me to come here, I would say that all that's that's played a part in the turnaround. For those that may not be familiar with Troy, the community, the fan base, what's it like being part of the Troy Trojan sort of athletic community? It is extremely special to be a part of Troy uh, athletic department. I know this sounds like a stereotype. I know you <laughs> a cliche maybe, but this place is so family oriented. It's, it's, it's so family oriented. I think we're the second smallest town that plays FBS football. We're the second smallest town, uh, kind of in there with some of the big dogs, you know, but, um, so that has challenges. And as far as recruiting, you have to find the right fit. You have to find the right coaches and to, to be here and thrive in a small town. But, um, it, it's so, it's so perfect for me because, um, you know, my husband's a football coach. I'm a basketball coach. So a big part of our family it is people we work with on a day basis, our, our players and our the staffs we work around. So it is so great if you're going to spend this many hours doing it, that it's, it's, uh, you know, it is such a family oriented experience and our chancellor, chancellor Jack Hawkins, Jr. Um, the smartest guy I've ever met. Um, he really screens the coaches and the staffs here. He always has the final interview with him. I remember mine, um, you know, to just to go in, I think he really just, make sure I think he knows the athletic director is going to pick somebody who can coach the sport with what they're hiring for but he makes sure it's a family person it's going to be somebody that fits in with the Troy fit and and then I think he loves us to all have that underdog spirit we all at Troy are fighting to do big things uh, our hashtag on our team is we do impossible um, and, and it's it's shared among the other coaches we talk about that how can we do greater things we we throw that idea around I mean we and we all love Troy so much we want to put put Troy it's for the it's for the it's for the pride of Troy we feel like you know so it's a great it's a great atmosphere now it's not just about on-court success for you you also uh, you really beat the table about you know education being in the classroom you have a, a doctorate in higher education uh, I, I'm curious how for those that don't know just how important is it to Troy women's basketball to get it done both on the court and in the classroom Right. So thank you for asking me that. So, yeah, I mean, winning basketball games is my job and I love it. And I try every day to get better at it. But 
helping um, helping young women get their college degree is my calling. And and in my situation, a lot of times um, it is it's, it's players who come in with at risk factors, you know. And that's this is what I got my doctorate in is is uh, helping the first generation college student acclimate to a college campus. A, a, a large portion of my players throughout the years have been first in their family to go to college. So they come in with, with challenges. They maybe come in from, from families that, that they haven't seen a lot of role models do this thing, you know, and, and navigate in a higher academic setting. And so, um, again, it's what I'm passionate about because research shows that if, if a person who's first in their family goes to college and completes their college degree within two uh, generations, because of the effect that it has on their little brothers and sisters or cousins, or this and that, it can raise the entire family out of the posterity of that family out of poverty. So I think that basketball is great work. I get to do, I love it. I love basketball, but the work we're doing in, in um, helping first generation or at risk student athletes acclimate to the college climate um, and environment and helping them be successful with a hundred percent graduation rate. That is the important work. And that's my life work. And that's, you know, I, I hope to be coaching basketball for a long time. But when it's over and I have time, that's that's what I want to de- dedicate the next part of my life to is, um, you know, helping maybe writing or speaking and help researching, helping other people understand um, the importance of of going the extra mile and helping uh, those students um be as comfortable as they can on a college campus and feel as, feel that they're going to be huge successes and setting them up for success. Now, I was listening to an interview that you had done uh, earlier this year. I had listened to it earlier in the week, and you had said that when you were growing up, uh, your dad said, anybody that doesn't have uh, sports practice after school has to come back home and help milk the cows. Is there any more you could tell me about that story? Because that's so fascinating to me. Yeah, so that began my love of basketball for sure because, um, again, we grew up on a dairy farm in, in Louisiana, and um, after one morning we had helped at the barn. We had to get to school. It was very early, and my dad just lined us all up and said, hey, whoever doesn't have sports practice after school, you know, come on and help us milk in the afternoon because you have to milk twice a day. And and there there began my quest to be an athlete, and um, football was really the only thing going on at that time. And I, tr- I went out, and I like I tell people, I think I was about to take or did take one of my brothers' start position, I think, on special teams, but probably the other ones too. I was working really hard, but then I found out I couldn't play. Principal said I couldn't play. I was a girl, so I found basketball, mm-hmm. and I found out a way to make it a year-round sport. And and therefore, my, there there's where my love of of athlete, being an athlete began right there. And um, I just did it all the time. I became good enough that I did get a scholarship to go play at Louisiana College um, there in Louisiana, small school, but it was a great, great opportunity. And um, that started me on my, on my way to, to getting a college degree. And, you know, that's not something that, that was decided that I was going to do, but I'm thankful that basketball started my course to that. You talk a lot about Louisiana. I'm going to put you on the spot. Does Louisiana have the best food in America? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no, yes, that is for sure. That is for sure. Uh, Coach Gary Broadhead and his team was just in town. And then Brooks Donald Williams from ULM and Coach Broadhead from ULL, they were just in town. And uh, I always ask them and their staff what they've been eating lately because it's definitely good food back in Louisiana. Listen, every trip I've taken down there, my dad used to do some stuff uh, during the summers in Louisiana for his job. Every trip I've taken down there, the food is immaculate. I always tell people, I'm not from there, but Louisiana has the best food in America. No doubt. 
doubt. Uh, in terms of this season, kind of circling back to the year, uh, you all rank eighth nationally in free throw attempts per game. How crucial is getting to the free throw line to your team's success? Well, so we try to always shoot for the moon. We say shoot for the moon. If you miss, you're going to land among some stars. So our whole, the whole thing we do here is set really high goals. And if we fall a little bit short of them, we, we, we're still up really high above somebody who just set an average goal. So we strive to score 120 points a game. We practice for it every day. We we put five minutes on the clock. We try to we say you have to score fifteen points in five minutes. So if you do the math, once you're scoring fifteen points in five minutes, if you did that for forty minutes, that's one hundred and twenty points, and that's the pace we like to play at. So, uh, we strive to play for, and then uh, so getting fouled a lot is it comes along with that territory. We're also number one in the nation, I believe today. I, don't, I hadn't checked today, but in in rebounding and yes. offensive. Those things, um, again, I, it's not like I just set out to say, hey, I want to be in the top 10 in, in, in free throws and I, I want to lead the nation to rebound it. But those come along with that. When you play and you try to get that many shots up, we're striving to shoot the ball 100 times. And again, we don't reach that goal. Very seldom do we reach that goal, but we strive for it every day. So, you know, we're actually not great shooters. If you look at our, if you look at our shooting percentage, um, not just this year, but throughout my time at Troy, we haven't really beat anybody with our shooting percentage, but we shoot it so many more times. And when we, when we get to the free throw line, we understand that's how, that's another way to get to 120 points. You've got to score when the clock is stopped when you, when you're on that free throw line. So we get a lot of free throws because we play so fast and offensively aggressive. And then we, we, we try to really value those opportunities because we're, again, we're not just striving to just to have more points than the other team at the end of the game. We're trying to score 120 points every night. Troy, right now, second since Sunbelt play began in scoring offense, averaging just shy of 83 points per game. Top 10 nationally uh, on the season. Actually, uh, number th- I'm sorry, number 13th uh, in scoring offense, uh, second best in the Sunbelt overall. Talking about the Sunbelt sort of at-large coach, obviously realignment is something that everyone is focused on a lot. New look Sunbelt. From your perspective, what have these newcomers brought to the league? Oh my goodness! Uh, I think they've they've just improved our league so much already, and we haven't even been through you know a full cycle. We're just coming into the league, first of all. I mean, there's so much history with Old Dominion basketball. There's so much. I mean, uh, Joy Lee McNillis at, at Southern Miss. I think I believe she's regarded as is one of the best in the business. I mean, just so many positives about them coming into the conference. Um, it shakes things up within the coaches that are already here. You know, iron sharpens iron, and there's four good coaches coming in here with different styles that we've than we've had to play before and you know it, it, it it'll make you it'll make you go back to the drawing board okay how i haven't i haven't played joy lee McNeilis before or i haven't played marshall before but look how they do things and let me let me figure out how i'm gonna you know uh, to counteract that and and beat that and and i mean just it's just been a tremendous contribution with the four new teams in the conference before I let you go, Coach, uh, you have four players this year, actually, excuse me, five players this year, averaging double-figure scoring, and you talked a lot just a minute ago about the importance of scoring offense. When you have that many players averaging in double figures, uh, how how much, how valuable is that that depth that you can sort of throw at teams? Yeah, so it's... Um I mean, it's a lot of people just say it's hard to scout our team. I would say that this year, JMU 
is very um, – they might be beating me in my game right there at that because they're very hard to scout. They have so many that they can throw at you. But it's that same kind of, you know, philosophy, you know, just most coaches uh, – I've heard them talk about maybe they'll get their first eight as far as – on their recruiting board or if they have a roster coming back, they look at it and they know, okay, these first eight will be playing a lot for us. They, you know, but we try to only sign people that potentially could be all conference, all of them. Like we would potentially just have 15 players that if it worked out and they could stay focused, that we believe they have what it takes to be all conference because we kind of platoon players in. Like I, I looked around the other, I don't even do my, my, my um, substitutions. Coach Graff substitutes our post players and coach Courtney Simmons substitutes our guards. But I looked in and they had literally, you know, put five for five in and that's not unusual but um i just remember that moment we're thinking hey this is unusual i haven't had anybody do that against us all year but um it's just important it's tough to scout but also it's just that next man up um mentality i think it i think it helps i think it's for the good of our players as well because you know if you are just if you just have one star on the team or one star in that position you know if, if human nature sets in one day and they're they're not feeling it and they you know they they want to just not be their best. Well then, Hey, they're not the starter anymore because we got somebody coming in to take your job. But isn't that like that in life? Like I can't say, you know what? I'm tired of the grind of this. I think I just want to go, you know, read a book today or go play golf or do something. Hey, somebody else will be in my spot in a second. I have to, I have to stay sharp every day. I have to be my best every day. And having that um, deep roster, it keeps the, it keeps the players accountable. Not only is it good for uh, causing distractions with the other coach when they're trying to scout your team, it, it's a harder scout, but it also keeps our players sharp and keeps them their best and accountable every day. That is Troy's Chanda Rigby. Coach, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate the time, and I really look forward to seeing you in Pensacola come season's end. I really hope so, and I'm so thankful for the Sunbelt Conference of uh, just putting on such a quality tournament there. We're all looking forward to it. Couldn't be in a better place. Pensacola is wonderful. We're looking forward to that, and I really look forward to seeing you there, and thank you for giving me this opportunity today. As this show continues to evolve, we'll try to add different things each week to the show. This week, I'd like to give you the game that I'm watching for. And coincidentally, it happens to be the game that I'll be calling Thursday evening, Troy at Marshall. I thought Marshall head coach Tony Kemper, in spite of his team losing four straight games, had a really insightful quote in his midweek press conference. Take a listen. Obviously, we're not playing the way we want to play right now. And, and uh... I thought that after Old Dominion, I, th- I think Old Dominion was a, a step in the right direction for our team. I think we were way more consistent in that game with uh, the things that we need to do to to be successful. And uh, and sometimes though you can play better and still not feel any better when you're riding the bus home or or taking the airplane home. So I, I do think that's kind of what 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 the lesson was from Saturday is there's. There's things that you did better, and unfortunately, it doesn't feel any better. So um, I thought our energy level practice on Friday, I saw a little bit more, uh, I think, an energy level that was trying to carry others, and I thought that was really important for that day. I thought that carried through yesterday as well in our first day of prep for Troy. So, um, you know, we're uh, they're, they're obviously fighting. I mean, even we've, we've had some – rough stretches in these games that have put us in a really bad place and they they are at some point in all these games they're centering themselves and battling back 
Kemper's Thundering Herd are more of a defensive-minded bunch. They're not going to blow you away with the offense. In fact, Marshall averages just 65 points per game. It's the Herd's defense that has really been impressive this year, just allowing 59.2 on the season. That'll be an interesting juxtaposition against a Troy offense. Like we heard Chanda Rigby talk about, they want to play fast. She puts a lot of emphasis on scoring. So we'll see, can Marshall's defense slow Troy down or will the Trojans, who, yes, they've played some high-level competition on the road, but they haven't, the four and four haven't fared exactly well away from home. We'll see if Troy can sort of assert their game plan, assert their dominance, so to speak, and dictate the tempo of Thursday night's game. Before we wrap things up on the women's side of the Sun Belt, it's time once again for the Her Hoop Stats Stat of the Pod. Brought to us by our friends over at Her Hoop Stats. I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point. Four episodes in, I beat this drum every single week. But Her Hoop Stats is a great asset for anyone looking to cover the women's game at a deeper level. Her Hoop Stats was founded in 2017. They cover everything from the WNBA to college basketball. You can break things down by teams or players. That's herhoopstats.com. They have free options. They have subscription-based options. You can also follow them on Twitter at herhoopstats. This week's stat of the pod is not so much a stat, but more of a tip of the cap because each year, Her Hoop Stats awards the Becky Hammond Mid-Major Player of the Year Award. Also, around the midway point of the year, they come out with the mid-season watch list, and the new watch list is here, featuring the aforementioned Kiki Jefferson. 18 points per game, 8.4 rebounds per game, 3.5 assists per game. A lot of love being shown to Jefferson and the Dukes. The Becky Hammond Mid-Major Player of the Year Award was first awarded in 2020. Sierra Duffy from South Dakota was the inaugural winner. Last year, Kirsten Bell won the award and won it in 2021. Let's go ahead and jump over to the men's side now of the Sunbelt Conference. And our next guest, well, let's just say he's a pretty big fan of the SBC and men's hoops. We're joined now by Sean Paul. He's a basketball writer for the Mountain West Wire. He also is a host for the Field of 68, the mid-major show. Sean, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here and talk about Sunbelt basketball. Hey, I love Sunbelt basketball. I love this Sunbelt podcast you got going on over here. So I'm very honored to join and talk about a very interesting conference. It's very, it's always entertaining, but it's definitely entertaining this season. Yeah, you know, and that's a good place to start because obviously in the offseason, the Sun Belt, they realigned, they added Marshall, Southern Miss, Old Dominion from Conference USA, a James Madison team from the Colonial, and that's paid immediate dividends. Uh, what's impressed you the most about these four newcomers and how they've elevated the league? I mean, we could just start off with Marshall. They brought in the best player in the conference this season. That's Tavion Kinsey. He's a runaway favorite for Conference Player of the Year. Last year, he... Kind of struggled a little bit. He was really good two years ago, then kind of came back down to earth last year. But he dealt with some injuries and was off the court a little bit. But this year he's been really good. He's, you know, limited his three-point shooting because that's not the strength of his game. He's just one of the more athletic, if not the most athletic player in college basketball. I feel like he's really amped up his defense. Sometimes I feel like it was never a skill issue defensively. I felt like it was more of an effort issue at times the past couple of years. Because when you have that kind of athleticism, you should be able to stay with anybody. But he would get beat 
sometimes by less athletic guards, and that could usually be an effort issue. Davion Kinsey has really fixed that this season, and Marshall's defense has been really solid. They're a top 100 defensive team in Ken Palm compared to being a pretty terrible 258th-ranked defense last year. They were one of the more disappointing teams in college basketball last year in the mid-major ranks. They went 12-21. and 21. They're 15-4 and four right now. They have a couple head-scratching losses, like uh, against Georgia Southern. That's a game they probably should have won. They're better than Georgia Southern. And then uh, against UNC Greensboro, who turns out to be a fairly solid opponent. Queens during their first D1 game coming over from the D2 level. They're a pretty solid team. But I think Marshall is the favorite in this conference right now because of Kinsey, because of Andrew Taylor, and because of two guys that are newcomers. Mitch Hanlockton, or Micah Hanlockton, has been awesome this year. Seven-footer. He's been really good. And then you have uh, Camden Kerfman, who I loved watching at BMI. He was exactly the missing ingredient for this Marshall team. Just a guy who's going to light it up from outside. He's not afraid to let it fly, and he can shoot 40%. He can shoot 15 threes in a game, and he can lead you to a victory. You know, you talk about Marshall, the turnaround from last year, and and when you, say, you talk about the win improvement, right now it's just only a plus three win improvement. But on the court, there's so much more impressive. For people that may not understand just how big of a turnaround this is, what just is, I know you went into it a little bit there, but what is so different about this Marshall team? They have a little more size with Handlocked in inside last year. You know, there's a lot of Obina and Achilla killing inside. And I think he's a really solid player. He's six foot eight, but he's a little lanky. He's not quite the physically imposing force that Handlocked in is. And I think he's just made such a big difference blocking close to three shots per game. He's eating up the defensive rebounds, 11 rebounds per game. He had a 19 rebound game against Coastal Carolina along with five blocks. Just 19, 19, and five is just such a pretty aesthetically pleasing stat line from a seven foot one big man. And then just shooting last year, they were absolutely terrible shooting wise. And when you add a guy like Camden Kerfman, who that's his specialty, they needed a guy like Kerfman, who's just going to shoot the ball and not do anything else particularly well, but that's his specialty. They needed a guy like that. And I give credit to the staff for going and finding a guy like that and come over and just light it up from outside. Last year, I mean, their best shooter was probably Andrew Taylor at 34% from outside. David Early was a pretty good shooter, too, at 34. But when you have a guy that can shoot 40 from outside, that 6% is such a major difference. It makes defenses respect the three-point shot more. It makes teams not pack the paint. And that allows a guy like Tavion Kinsey, who really thrives going inside and getting to the mid-range, getting to his spots. It allows a guy like him to really thrive even more than he did last year. Speaking of big turnaround, Southern Miss was a seven-win team a season ago, and Jay Ladner and his bunch, mm-hmm. they've really turned things around. They have fallen off a little bit, suffered that big loss on national TV against Marshall, fell to Louisiana. But I'm curious, John, how much staying power does this Southern Miss team have to be there toward the top? I think Southern Miss is legit, and for two big reasons. Uh, Austin Crowley is one of the best players, if not the best scoring guard in the conference. And then Felipe Hase is just such a steady player. He's a great pick and pop threat, six foot nine, two forty, shooting close to forty four percent from outside. He's just as steady as they come. And you know, you look at you talk about Jay Ladner. It's been a struggle over there in the in the Conference USA over the past couple of seasons for Southern Miss. They won nine games three years ago. They won eight games two years ago, and they won seven games last year. Going over to a new conference, this was probably Jay Ladner's last year in Hadesburg, Mississippi, if he wasn't able to get them on a winning trajectory. And what has he done? He's gotten them on a winning trajectory. He made good additions from the portal. Maybe some of it was addition by subtraction because they lost most of their team from last year, and they had way more talent 
than a seven-win team, but sometimes the pieces just don't fit well. Obviously not in the same conference, but you look at a Nevada team in the Mountain West, they were probably the most talented, if not the second most talented team in that conference last year, and they lost their three best players all at high major schools. Now we're going to be NCAA tournament teams, uh, two guys at Arizona State and one at Oklahoma, and you know they, they went to different places, and it's made Nevada better. Sometimes just losing guys and replacing them can make a team better chemistry-wise. Sometimes the pieces just don't fit. But what I love about the Southern Miss team is the way they play defensively. They're going to get up in your face. They're going to force some turnovers. They're going to make your life difficult. Uh, I, I just really like what they do, and uh, the duo of Crowley and Hase is just so fun to watch. And they really haven't had a ton of Natalie Alvarez this year. He's only played one game. He was the guy that was their starting point guard in the first game of the season. He hasn't played since. I don't know when he's coming back, if he's coming back. But if he does around conference tournament time, that's just another big addition for a ball handler in Miss, in Southern Miss's backcourt. Louisiana, the preseason favorites. Last year, they kind of snuck up on everybody. An eight seed made it to the championship game lowest seeded team to do so this year jordan brown the arizona transfer and and the raging cajuns they're not going to sneak up on anybody no. they did have a slow start started zero and two but they've righted the ship as of late now four and two do you think louisiana has what it takes to make the breakthrough this year and get to the ncaa tournament well that's i could see it because jordan brown's just such a dominating force and if you remember last year i mean i had louisiana as you know, one or two in the conference in the preseason, they just did not live up to expectations at all. Jordan Brown is hurt a little bit. Theo Kubo is hurt quite a bit, and they never really got on the court together. But at the same time, playing two more stationary bigs in the year 2022 last year, it, it just isn't the formula many teams use. And I think we saw that a little bit of addition by subtraction there because now you have Jordan Brown just able to do what he wants in the paint. You have shooters around him like Kentrell Garrett, who's shooting 45% from outside. You have Greg Williams, who's had a really good season, the former St. John's transfer. Jalen Dalcourt's really shooting the ball well. And Thamus Folks is such a speedy guard that can get in the paint, attract defenders, and dump it off to shooters or Jordan Brown inside. They have a great offense. Their defense leaves a lot to be desired. So I think when it comes down to it, they're kind of similar to Marshall of last year. They play a little slower, but their defense is just brutal. I don't think their defense is good enough to allow them to make the NCAA tournament. Can they win a couple of games in the conference tournament? Maybe get to the championship? Yes. But I think against a team like Marshall, that's just a terrible matchup for them. If you have handlocked and that can defend a guy like Jordan Brown, and then Marshall's defense could probably lock up Louisiana's perimeter a little bit, and they have no chances of stopping Marshall in a in a full court game. So I think that Marshall would just beat them. I think a team like Southern Miss would beat them. A team like James Madison, depending on the day, we know how Jekyll and Hyde they can be at times a season. Uh, on, a, on a good day, they could beat them. Louisiana's up and down. Their defense is just too concerning, though. Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, right now second highest scoring team in the Sun Belt during league play, 25th scoring offense in the country. Sean Paul on the Under the Sun podcast talking about Sun Belt basketball. And Sean, you just mentioned James Madison. I had the call of the Marshall JMU game a couple weeks ago in Huntington. That was a great victory for Mark Byington's bunch. They were unable to follow up on that, though. Three straight losses, uh-huh. nine for 57 combined from three-point land. But then against South Alabama, they got back off the schneid, 11 for 20. Uh, what does James Madison need to do to be more consistent as a team and maybe vie for that Sunbelt crown? It just comes down to making perimeter shots for them, honestly, because they don't have a go-to guy 
they have a bunch of guys that can be their leading scorer on any given night. Some nights it's be Terrence Edwards. Some nights it's going to be to call Molson could be Votto Morse on some days. And some days it'll be Noah Friedel. But I think the days that Noah Friedel is hitting three, four, five threes is when James Madison is at its most dangerous because you look at their three game losing streak. They just couldn't buy a bucket from outside against a pretty bad Texas state team. They went four of 12. They didn't attempt a lot of threes. Texas state did a good job pushing them off the line. Against App State, they went 4 of 26 against a really lengthy and athletic App State team from outside. And then against South Alabama, they went 3 for 19 from 3. And Noah Friedel was really bad from outside in all of those games. But you look at James Madison's recent win over Georgia Southern. And Georgia Southern, that's proven to be a little difficult to beat. I mean, they've got App State a couple uh, last week. They got Marshall already. So they've been a little dangerous in this conference as a lower-ranked team. That is uh, proven to be a bit difficult, but no Friday scored 20 points, went six for eight from outside. He's a guy that averaged close to, you know, 20 points a game at South Dakota State a couple of years ago. They need him to be that go to guy, a guy that's going to shoot 40 percent from three. If James Madison is able to win this conference because they're really good defensively. They just need that go to shooter. And that's Noah Friday. Right now, the top of the Sun Belt Conference standings, it's an absolute logjam. Marshall, Southern Miss, Louisiana, Troy, Georgia Southern, and ULM all with four and two records. Now, you mentioned Georgia Southern, Troy, and ULM hanging around there as well. All three of those teams in the preseason poll really weren't projected to finish high, and obviously Southern Miss included picked to finish 14th. But of that Warhawks, uh, Trojans, and Eagles group, who do you think has – the highest ceiling and potentially could be there in the mix come season's end. So between Southern Miss, Troy, and ULM? Uh, yeah, and uh, Southern Miss, Troy, ULM, and Georgia Southern. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's a tough one because I do like Georgia Southern. Uh, I think Savrasov is a really good player. I like Jalen Finch. He's been a really good guard addition from Jacksonville State. But it's hard for me to bet against Southern Miss with what we've seen because we've seen them go on the road and beat some really good teams in the non-conference slate. They beat Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not that good, but they dropped 97 in Arkansas the other day. They went and beat an SEC team on the road. That matters for something. And then they went and beat Liberty, a game where they led by 20-plus points. Liberty makes a ferocious comeback, but Southern Miss is able to hang on. I was more impressed by Southern Miss coming back and hanging on to that game than I was by their 20-point lead because it showed that they weren't going to let Liberty's winning culture and all the things that Liberty has in their favor affect them in late-game situations on the road. They were able to hold on to that game despite being under serious game pressure, and they won that game. I think Southern Miss is a pick here. They're a really solid defensive team. They don't do anything particularly well besides force turnovers, but when you have a guy like Austin Crowley and a guy like Felipe Hase, it's tough to bet against them. Their depth is a little bit concerning, but I love their top two. I want to circle back to Marshall for a minute because you did talk about Tavion Kinsey and how he's grown mm-hmm. this season. Would you say Kinsey right now is about – we're kind of closing in on the midway point of the season in terms of conference play – would you say mm-hmm. Kinsey is the midseason favorite for Sunbelt Player of the Year? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if it's close, honestly. I think he's been significantly better than 
just about anybody in this conference. I think number two might be Andrew Taylor, honestly. His numbers are pretty ridiculous, too. And obviously, in uh, the fast-paced Dan D'Antonio, it's going to favor offensive numbers a little more than some other systems might, like at App State this season where they've struggled offensively. But you can't ignore what these guys have done. You look at 20 points, five rebounds, five assists from a guy like Tavion Kinsey, or six assists now from Tavion Kinsey, and then Andrew Taylor averaging 18 a game, five rebounds, and five assists. They've both been terrific. Taylor hasn't been very efficient, but he's been really steady. Kinsey's been really efficient from the field. He's just not a great shooter. Doesn't get a ton of them now. I think he's far and away the best player in this conference. There's been a lot of talk coming into realignment with the Sun Belt, and I had Commissioner Keith Gill on a couple weeks ago talking about the the Mac Sun Belt Challenge, ways to elevate the Sun Belt brand, and potentially maybe get a second team in the NCAA tournament. I know a couple weeks ago you jokingly tweeted hashtag two bid Sunbelt, but what does a conference like the Sunbelt have to do to raise its profile and maybe get two teams in the tournament? I mean, if you want to follow a blueprint, just go look at what the CAA is doing right now. You have a team like the College of Charleston. They're a nationally ranked team. Uh, the CAA is not a two bid league almost ever. I don't know if it's ever happened, honestly. I'd need a fact checker to check that, but I... <laughs> I would seriously doubt that the CAA has gotten multiple teams, at least in the past like 20 years in the NCAA tournament. And if the College of Charleston continues what they're doing, which is dominating CAA teams, and then they get to the conference tournament and lose, even if they lose a couple at this point, let's say they go, they lose one regular season game and lose in the conference tournament to a Hofstra or UNC Wilmington or Towson, they're making the NCAA tournament. The Sun Belt is a better conference than the CAA, obviously. I mean, there's a big difference there because the Sun Belt has football. They have all that money coming in, too. So there's a wide margin between these types of conferences. But the Sun Belt needs to have a team that just dominates the non-conference, picks up a big high major win like uh, like uh, Charleston did against Virginia Tech in, in MTE. And then they need them to dominate conference play. I know that's going to look bad for some of the other teams in the conference. And I just don't think there's wide enough of a gap usually in the Sun Belt for that to happen. But a team needs to go attack the portal like College Charleston did, get a bunch of those guys in, and just hope that they don't have any slip-ups in conference play, maybe one regular season loss, maybe one conference tournament loss, and then getting that large bid. It's not an easy path to follow, but it's possible. Sean Paul, you can follow him at Sean Paul CBB on Twitter. He hosts the mid-major show for Field of 68. He writes for the Mountain West Wire. Sean, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, talk about Sunbelt basketball. and. Man, I'll tell you what, it should be an exciting sort of stretch run here toward the end of the year. Absolutely. I think, hey, I'll pick, I'll take my pick now. I mean, I'll go Marshall in the conference. So yeah, we can remember that in a couple weeks or a couple months. Hey, listen, we'll circle back to that real quick. Then I'm, I'm glad yeah. you, you made that pick. Do you think Marshall maybe has what it takes to get through the first round, maybe even be a second weekend team? I mean, it's all dependent on matchups. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Like, who saw St. Peter's? They were 20-point underdogs at Kentucky. Uh, and you're like, hey, I, I watched a decent amount of St. Peter's last year. Their offense was terrible during the regular season. It was a bad offensive team. And that's what they had been over the past number of years under Shaheen Holloway. And then their offensive, just offense, it worked differently in the NCAA tournament because these teams aren't prepared for them like teams in the MAC were for them. So if we see a team like Marshall, make the NCAA tournament, how are high major teams going to face off against their size and their fast pace? They might not be prepared for it. 
So I think Marshall does have the tools. They have a player like Tavion Kinsey. They have the size with hand locked in and Angela Killen. They have a good guard with Andrew Taylor. I think they have enough pieces to definitely win a game or two in the NCAA tournament if they uh, get the right matchups. I'm sure that'll make the people in Huntington, West Virginia, really happy to hear that. They love their thundering herd. Sean, thanks so much for your time. We'll catch you up soon and have you back on the pod. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Sean talked a lot about Marshall's Tavion Kinsey, who not only leads the league in scoring north of 20 points per game, but Kinsey was announced as the conference player of the week earlier this week. Third time this year that the fifth-year senior has been player of the week in the SBC. And speaking of statistical leaders, let's take a look around the league. Kenzie leading the way in points. Micah Handlogged in leads and rebounds for Marshall. And then you have Themis Falks in assists. Kevin Samuel for South Alabama in blocks per game. And Jamari Blackman from ULM leading in steals per game. I think it's so interesting. The Sun Belt is thought of as this really tough defensive league. And it is. Absolutely. In fact, if you look at the statistics, since conference play began, there are seven teams allowing less than 65 points per game. And then you have Marshall allowing 67 along with Arkansas State. In fact, only two Sun Belt teams allow north of 70. That's Louisiana and Coastal Carolina. But it's so interesting because, yes, while defense seems to be the Sun Belt's calling card, the Sun Belt is right now home to three of the top 25 scoring offenses in the country. James Madison, who cooled off a little bit during that three-game losing streak. Then you have Marshall and Louisiana in that order, 6 18 and number 25, respectively. Louisiana and the Raging Cajuns, they can score and look out. I talked to Sean about it during our chat a couple minutes ago. Louisiana, preseason favorites, dropped their first two. They've now won four straight, so they're back in the conversation about a team that could make a tournament run, like Sean talked about. Their defense, though, Leaves a lot to be desired. They allowed South Alabama to shoot almost 60% from the field. It was a win for Louisiana, but still, that doesn't bode well down the stretch against some more potent offenses than the Jaguars. Before we wrap things up here on Under the Sun, let's take a look at the conference standings like we always do. Marshall, Southern Miss, Louisiana, Troy, Georgia Southern, and ULM all at the top at 4-2. and two. Then you have JMU, App State, Texas State at 3-3. Three and three. ODU, Georgia State, Coastal, and South Alabama at two and four. The Red Wolves of Arkansas State, the outlier there at the basement of the Sun Belt, just a one and five record. As always, we'd like to thank all of our guests for jumping on the podcast. Thanks to Chanda Rigby. Thanks to Sean Paul. And thank you for tuning in. A reminder that you can catch new episodes of the Under the Sun podcast weekly. And in addition to podcasting, I have now joined the fan-sided network as a contributor, a college basketball contributor. Each week, I'll write a weekly Sunbelt column, which I alluded to there at the beginning, uh, called the Sunbelt Slant. So in between podcasts, if you're just itching for some Sunbelt news, be sure to check out my Twitter, at JakeGriffithPXP, for the latest weekly Sunbelt Slant column through fan-sided. That music track means it's time to go. We'll see you next week here. Thanks for listening to the Under the Sun podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Under the Sun. 